Welcome to episode 16 of Jimmy D and Mr. B. I am Jimmy D. And I am Mr. B. And we're going to talk about some history. And it's turn for Jimmy to pick the topic, which I think you've picked a banger this week. It is my turn. And the Titanic is the topic this week. Something that I'm sure pretty much everyone has heard about this magnificent ship and the story that follows it. But I think hopefully today we'll be going a little bit deeper into the story and um, hopefully you'll learn something that you didn't already know about the Titanic. Clint, what's your knowledge of the Titanic and kind of your association with it? I mean, the highest grossing film of all time at that point, pre was it Avatar or something like that? 1997. Um, I reckon... We grew up in that sweet spot of Titanic just being on TV, like exactly, yeah. Most most weeks, it seems. Yeah. Um, so, a lot of my Titanic knowledge was pretty much limited to what you see in that. So, you know, yeah. Billy Zane was a bad guy, and you know, Leo could have maybe fit on that panel. That's kind of about where I was at with it. Apart from the fact that it was, you know, this big ship that hit an iceberg. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I did, just to get into uh, the zone of the podcast, I did rewatch the movie for the first time probably in about 10 years. So uh, <laughs> got me all in the emotional zone for what we're going to talk about today. And and to be honest, for a film that was made in 1997, still 100% holds up, excellent acting and gets you right in the feels for what we're going to be talking about. I was going to ask if it holds up because, yeah, I'd be the same. I probably haven't seen it in like 10 years. But um, James Cameron was a wizard back in the day with yeah. his filmmaking. Yeah, 100% holds up and 100% still hits you right right in the feels. So um, I'm sure there'll be some quotes from the movie at some point during this podcast, but I reckon we should crack in, Clint. Yeah, I mean, I was tempted to start talking about like Avatar and Avatar 2, like once <laughs> James Cameron came up, because I don't think he's made a movie since Avatar, apart from like some docos. And I heard Avatar 2 is on the way and it's going to be underwater. So maybe oh. we'll get some Titanic Jimmy Cameron vibes. Exactly. All right. So starting off, we're going to talk about the competition and the construction of Titanic. So Titanic basically came about because of the high intense. Um, sort of uh, rivalry between two different shipping companies. So you've got the White Star Line, which is obviously um, the people who, the company that built uh, the Titanic and other ships. And then you've got uh, Cunard, which are a British firm. And essentially the, they had a couple of ships, but then White Star Line wanted to basically be the supremacy of, of the oceanic ships. And in 1909, they pretty much began their uh, building of the Titanic and what would become a huge and giant um, feat of Sounds like sort of a space race of like luxury ocean liners. Exactly right, yeah. And, and that's what it was because they wanted the supremacy o- over the seas, not in terms of war or fighting, but in terms of being the most uh, luxurious ship out there. So... Um, basically the people who were kind of the, the forefront of Titanic were, uh, J Bruce Ismay and, um, his other, and he had other counterparts as well, but they were pretty much the driving force between, uh, the, uh, between the ship being built and they really wanted it to be a luxurious ship that the rich of the rich would use, but also that would transport the poorer people across 
across the seas. So like I said, in 1909, they started the construction in uh, Belfast Island and it, and it was pretty much nonstop for two years, the building of the Titanic. They didn't really stop. And once the hull was made, they moved it, they put it into the water and they shipped it down to get the rest of the ship built. It was, it was thousands of workers um, on docks. They had to build the lavish interiors, 29 giant uh, boilers so that the ship could move on the ocean and two main steam engines. So um, this was a massive feat, especially for so early in the 20th century, Clint. Yeah, and I got really into like the construction facts of it or ship facts um, of this. So looking at videos, researching this and then looking some stuff up, I was amazed by like the sheer amount of steel and everything that went into this. I think it cost um, around 1.5 million pounds at the time to construct. Which which would be hundreds of millions now, I feel. Totally, yeah. Yeah. it was 220 feet high, apparently, which was which is like close to 70 meters, mm, which massive. is absolutely ridiculous at the time. Um, one thing I was amazed by: there were three million rivets used in the construction of the hull. That's um, that's insane. Yeah, they reckon it would have taken four people 15,000 days to put in all these rivets. Um, Another thing I saw was that I think there were eight construction workers killed during the build. Yes, yeah, I I, I saw that. And I mean, that's how many were recorded. I'm sure there were some other deaths and definitely some uh, heinous injuries, I'm sure, in a building of a ship of that size. Yeah, and there was apparently unwritten sort of expectations in shipyards at that time where there was approximately one death for every £100,000 spent on construction. So the cost of the Titanic at £1.5 million, you're factoring in about 15 people to die. So they came in under budget, Jimmy. That's pretty solid for a, for a, for a ship that was built by people who didn't really care about uh, the uh, poorer man. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure working up on top of a 70-metre hull, I'm sure the safety standards were a little bit different to today. Exactly. Um, in terms of uh, the safety, I want to go into uh, the ship itself and what kind of issues it had. Um, it was called the unsinkable ship, or so they thought. According to some theories, the Titanic was doomed from the very start, Clint. It's, they, by design, it was meant to be state-of-the-art. The Olympic-class ships featured... Uh, a double bottom and 15 watertight compartments, bulkhead compartments equipped with um, electric watertight doors that could be operated individually or simultaneously by a switch on the bridge, which is in itself is impressive. Unfortunately, though, these watertight bulkheads that were inspired by Shipbuilder magazine, um, they were essentially that made it that made people think it was practically unsinkable, actually weren't that great um the watertight design contained a floor it was critical and a massive factor in the titanic sinking the bulkheads were watertight fantastic but they actually didn't build them high enough so once the water got in it was able to flow over the top of each bulkhead and then get deeper and deeper into the ship so even though it was great that they were watertight it's not watertight if you don't build them high enough so that was one of the... Yeah, there wasn't much margin for error. 
in yeah, that, that so, sort of design. So that was one of the massive factors that once the water got into the ship, that was one of the main reasons why it was it it was going to sink. The second safety issue that contributed to the loss of heaps of lives and basically um, was the inadequate number of lifeboats. And we'll go into the lifeboats again a bit later. Um, but essentially, they didn't. They only had sixteen boats on the on the ship 16 lifeboats and there were approximately 2435 people on the ship but the ship had a capacity of over 300,000 um so i'm i'm no maths prodigy but 16 lifeboats for over two and a half thousand people is not really going to go clean yeah i think i put in there that like you would have needed 40 plus ships uh, like yeah. life boats if they were filled to capacity yeah and um i know like they had their regulations and stuff at the time as far as how many lifeboats could fit on there yes and i found that they actually were legally they had enough which is bizarre yeah according to the uh british board of trade requirements the titanic actually was having held too many lifeboats which i find insane for a ship that held that many people i don't know how they physically thought look yes they thought it was unsinkable but in the off chance that maybe you were going to hit an iceberg or something something out of the blue happened what did they think was going to happen if this boat was going to sink and it just blew my mind that they didn't take this into account when they were or they did and they just blatantly ignored it which i think is even worse You know what? I think they did take it into account, but I heard that they actually planned to have closer to 40 lifeboats on there. But then it didn't didn't look good. Aesthetically, it like cluttered up the decks and it's supposed to be this luxurious, beautiful liner. And all these lifeboats around were ugly. I would say having uh, 1,500 bodies floating in the water wouldn't look that aesthetic either, so... No, but this was the unsinkable ship, Jimmy. Yeah, so there was no that. chance of that happening. True I that. also like back to that sort of the requirements. Those requirements were made way pre-cruise liners. So exactly, I think they yeah. were actually factored in not by the amount of people, but about the amount of tonnage that the ship was carrying. Exactly. So yeah. normally if a ship was carrying that many tonnage, like there's a small crew with, you know, a bunch of cargo on there. So exactly legally right. they were covered, but ethically they probably should have thought about it a little bit deeper. And also, clearly, they didn't count uh, the poorer people as people. So, really, they probably thought they had enough. Yeah, there's a bit about that coming up, too. So, speaking of uh, the people, we're going to discuss a few of the different uh, people who were actually on the ship. As it was a first transatlantic transatlantic crossing for the world's most celebrated ship, many of the souls on board were wealthy people. They were uh, dignitaries, uh, celebrities. Uh, industrialists, people who probably even had stock in white and um, in the in the Titanic and, and its trip. The, yeah, picture the, you're like Billy Zane types. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you 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 like you're really rich people who just like had money to burn, pretty much. Um, yeah, you Kate Winslet's, you Billy Zanes. Yeah, all those real people on the ship. Um, and yeah, so one of the main guys I mentioned earlier was uh, Bruce J. Ismay, and he accompanied Thomas Andrews, who was the ship's builder from Harland and Wolf. Um, you might say this is pretty fortunate. The actual financier, so the guy who paid for the ship, uh, J.P. Morgan, um, he unfortunately could not make the voyage because of uh, some other interests that he had to take care of. And um, 
how, and how lucky for him that he didn't uh, experience the tragedy that uh, all those others did, Clint. Yeah, good call. Um, maybe also he probably should have spent like more money on like better steel and stuff like that, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure he got sued significantly from the rich people who survived. So, yeah. um, the wealthiest passenger on board, John Jacob Astor, the fourth, and he was the heir to the Astor family fortune. Who and he made he made waves earlier by marrying a 18 year old, so older man marrying a younger woman. That's just pretty classic. I reckon. 29 years his junior. Yeah. Wow. So, yep. so, so pretty young, and he divorced his probably older wife for for her. So he was one of the main passengers on board and he was actually considered the richest man in the world at the time. So um, could easily afford a, a, a ticket. Um, some of the other... Did he survive, Jimmy? No, he did not. He did. He went down with, with the ship, I'm pretty sure. So um, had, had some honour there, I think, compared to some other men yeah. who didn't really have that. Um, some of the other in... in uh, Famous people were the owners of Macy's, Isidore Strauss and his wife, Ida. So if you've been to America, Macy's is a huge shopping chain there. Um, also, Benjamin uh, Guggenheim. He was there with his lady friend, not his wife as well, and his valet and chauffeur. And then, obviously, if you've watched the film, uh, Margaret Molly Brown, who was known as the unsinkable Molly Brown, played by... Uh, 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 Kathy Bates in in the film, so that was actually based on a real person as well. Was she the lady that talks at the end of Titanic, or no? She's the one That's who the old lady. No, she's the one who basically she's in the lifeboat and she makes them all want to go back. And she's kind of like the loudmouth woman who's kind of new to being rich and everyone hates her type thing. So, um, cool. Yeah, and then uh, so yeah, so basically. Uh, some of these rich people survived, some didn't. Um, and then you obviously have, so you've got your first class travelers and they were pretty much the rich ones. Uh, I read that one of the first class ticket costs 800 and, 850 pounds, which is today's value $87,000 for a first class ticket. So pretty pricey. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I guess this is like a, you know, never experienced before sort of thing, isn't it? Exactly right. Yeah. So, that's it. and then Big ticket. yeah, and then you had your second class uh, uh, people going on the ship, and they were mainly like your, your academics, your journalists, you kind of like your middle class employed people, and then obviously by far the largest group was the third class, more than seven hundred exceeding the other two levels combined. Some had paid less than twenty dollars for a ticket to make the crossing, and. Um, it was a major source of profit for the shipping white line stars. So even though they treated these people like dirt, they were actually the main source of income for white star line and were to combine were uh, double of the other two groups of um, people on, on the ship. Yeah. And if the movie's anything to go by, they had awesome dance parties that the uh, uh, rich were envious of. Exactly, yeah. I would have uh, loved to be down... In the Titanic a... movie. Yeah, exactly right. I'm sure that definitely happened in real life as well. Um, so according to these passengers, some who survived, the, the amenities were actually quite good for third class, even though they weren't... Even though they were treated less than that. Um, any any facts you want to add in there, Clint, to uh, the passengers? Yeah, I've got um, one of the things... Yeah, for sure. So... 
Um, as I was looking it up, I did see a fun fact about the meals that the uh, first class passengers had. And I also wanted to look into what the um, third class were getting as well. So apparently the last meal that was served on the Titanic was a 10 course banquet for first class, including things like oysters, poached salmon, filet mignons, lamb, you know, cakes, pudding, all of this sort of stuff. So real fancy stuff you know, with wine pairings and cigars and everything that they could have wanted. Whereas the third class were having gruel with uh, some cheese and crackers. So <laughs> what a difference. Um, big, big contrast there um, in the, in the sort of classes. So I think that just highlights sort of the different levels. So it must've been bizarre seeing like these different levels on the same ship. Yeah, that's insane, and I mean, it was just—it just goes to show how how they treated people um, who weren't paying much more than twenty dollars for a ticket. I think now we'll move on to the setting of the 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 setting of sail for the for the Titanic. It's going to leave it depart. It's going to leave Southampton on April tenth, and even on its uh, maiden voyage and leaving the docks, it wasn't without some issues. It didn't actually have enough coal and had to borrow coal from other ships. So you'd reckon when you were going to set sail, you'd maybe make sure you had enough coal. And, it, and even with that coal, there actually was um, a small fire, and they actually had to basically make the engines go full pelt pretty much straight away so that the fire would get smaller and they wouldn't have... Um, and the fire wouldn't get out of control. And that's actually another reason why... Um, the Titanic sunk. It was going too quick, too early, and wasn't able to. Um, they had to basically maintain a high speed for the entire trip. Um, so yeah, so once the they got the fire under the, under control, uh, the uh, everyone kind of signed off. All the crew signed off on what was happening. Um, but yeah, this would basically be one of many contributing factors that led to the fatal collision of the iceberg. Um, another unsettling event took place on the Titanic. When the, uh, it left Southampton, um, it narrowly escaped a collision with another ship. And um, this was considered like quite a superstitious thing and basically meant a lot of people who were superstitious thought that it was a bad omen and that the ship would um, inevitably sink, which is very true in the end. Um, the Titanic will now get, we'll get into it striking the iceberg. So on April 14th, after four days of uneventful sailing, the Titanic received sporadic reports of ice from other ships, but she was sailing on calm seas under a moonless clear sky. Um, unfortunately, though, calm seas were bad as you couldn't see the water crashing against the iceberg. So even though it was beautiful and calm, actually not a great thing for when there's icebergs in the water. At about 11.30pm, a lookout saw an iceberg coming out of out of a slight haze and it was right ahead of them they rang the warning bell and telephoned the bridge the engines were they were quickly reversed and the ship was sharply turned instead of making direct impact the titanic seemed to graze along the side of the of the berg sprinkling ice fragments on deck um sensing that there wasn't actually a collision they thought they just scraped it the lookouts were relieved they had no idea that the iceberg had a jagged underwater spur which slashed a 300 foot gash in the hull below the ship's waterline that is a huge rip in a ship clint 
Yeah. So I know I was looking like into some of the facts around this. I was surprised by how fast they were going through this section as well. Yeah. I saw that they were going about half a mile per hour faster, oh, sorry, slower than the maximum speed it could yeah. travel. Mm. So even though they knew that all this ice was around, they were still going gun ho And apparently when they saw the iceberg, there was literally like 30 seconds between when it was spotted and when they collided. So they didn't really stand much of a chance. And I think they were maybe a little overconfident going through that area. I think so, yeah. So by the time the captain toured the damaged area with Harlan and Wolf's Thomas Andrews, five compartments were already filling with seawater and the bow of the doomed ship was alarmingly pitched forward, allowing seawater to pour from one bulkhead to the other compartment. Uh, Andrews, the, the designer of the ship, he did a quick calculation and estimated that the, the uh, Titanic um, might remain afloat for an hour and a half, perhaps slightly more. And at that point, the captain who had already instructed his wireless operator to call for help, ordered the lifeboats to be loaded. So pretty uh, dire scenes at the moment, Clint. Yeah, and they had to know that like they didn't have enough lifeboats either for everybody. Um, I think his um, calculations were pretty spot on. I think I saw somewhere that it that took about 160 minutes to sink, which must have seemed like an eternity for those on the boat. Exactly, yeah. So, and a bit of a calculation for the lifeboat. So the craft was designed to hold, the lifeboard, life raft was designed to hold 65 people. Um, some only left with 28 aboard, even less. There were 2,440 uh, people on the ship plus crew. Um, and like you said earlier, Clint, it would need 40 plus ships 40 plus life rafts to uh, take everyone off. Um, tragically, this was the norm, and during the confusion and chaos during the uh, precious hours before the Titanic plunged into the sea, nearly every lifeboat would be launched woefully underfilled, with some with only a handful of passengers, which is absolutely terrible and a really sad fact for the people who had to stay in the freezing water and sink in, inside the ship itself. Um, in compliance with the law, though, women and children were, were boarded first, probably the only time in history that women have had an advantage over men, and um, they were permitted on board. Many of the victims were in, were, in fact, women and children, the result of disorderly procedures that failed to get them to the boats in the first place. Um, basically, all the rich people were on first, and they didn't really want to be sitting next to poor people, so another reason that a lot of the poor people uh, died, unfortunately. So a bunch of selfish people looking after themselves and not realizing the uh, gravity of the situation, Clint. Yeah. And one of the most, I suppose, disgusting selfish stories I saw on there was about the, uh, this raft called the millionaire's raft that apparently had, I think four or five passengers on it and like seven of the ship's crew. And they yep. were like the wealthiest, you know, some of the wealthiest people on the boat. And apparently at the time, the guy gave like five pounds to each crew member to basically like go as fast as you can and not pick up any of these people screaming out for help in the water, which like five pounds at the time was like hundreds of dollars. So yeah, um, yeah just one of those like really selfish stories where like you've got a 65 capacity um, boat that's got you know less than 10 people on it and they don't care 
Yeah, it's pretty horrific. And I mean, exceeding Andrew's prediction, the Titanic stubbornly stayed afloat for close to three hours. Those hours witnessed acts of craven cowardice and extraordinary bravery. So the things that we've heard, we've been talking about, they all seem to be true. Hundreds of human dramas unfolded between the order to load the lifeboats and the ship's final plunge. Men saw off wives, children, families were separated in the confusion and selfless individuals gave up their spots to remain with loved ones or allow a more vulnerable passenger to escape. In the end, 706 people survived the sinking of the Titanic. So less than half. Yeah, that's a pretty small number out of 2,400. yeah, and if they did their job right, like most of them could have survived despite the iceberg. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Titanic sinks. The ship's most illustrious passenger each responded to the circumstances with conduct that has become an integral part of the Titanic legend. Is May the White Star managing director helped load some of the boats and later stepped onto a collapsed as it was being lo- collapsed life, but it was being lowered. Although no women or children were in the vicinity when the abandoned ship, when he abandoned ship, he would never live down the the basically the uh, cowardice of surviving the disaster, while so many others would die. Andrews, who was the ship's designer, uh, stayed aboard on ship and was last seen smoking in the first class room, staring blankly at a painting of a ship on the on the wall. Uh, Asta. Uh, deposited his wife Madeline into a lifeboat and and remarking that she was pregnant asked if he could accompany her he was refused entry he managed to kiss her goodbye just before the boat was lowered away so the world's richest man stayed on the ship but was able to get his wife onto a lifeboat which is kind of a nice story there um Isidore Strauss uh, refused any special consideration and he and his wife Ida would and Ida would not leave her husband and the couple retired to their cabin and perished together which is kind of a nice little uh, love story there another passenger uh, Benjamin uh, Guggenheim and his valet returned to their rooms and changed into their formal evening dress emerging on the deck he famously declared we are dressed in our best and are prepared to go down like gentlemen which is a pretty baller line um, as we spoke about earlier, uh, uh, Molly Brown, the unsinkable Molly Brown, helped load the boats and was finally forced in, in onto the last one that was leaving. She implored its crewmen to turn back for survivors, but they refused, fearing they would be swamped by desperate people trying to escape the icy seas. How dare they? The Titanic was perpendicular, um, with many lights still aglow, and finally dove beneath the ocean surface at yeah. 2.20. <laughs> at uh at 2:20 a.m. on 15th of April 1912 throughout the morning uh the other ship that they'd called for distress the uh Carpathia after receiving the Titanic's distress call at midnight and tried to get there as fast as they could and they had to dodge icebergs as well and they eventually rounded up the the lifeboats that contained the 705 survivors so eventually someone did come but Unfortunately, it was too little too late, really, for the remaining people in the water, Clint. Yeah, and this water was like several degrees below freezing. So once people got in there, they were pretty much gone for, unfortunately. Yeah, I did hear of uh, some people who survived due to their excessive uh, drinking. So note, if you're in freezing water, drink a lot of whiskey. 
that's the key to survival. <laughs> Good call. All right, yeah, I'll remember that. Um, we'll we'll now it. get it, now we'll now get into the aftermath, the final stages, and the and kind of sum up the uh, Titanic in its entirety. At least five separate boards of inquiry were on both sides of the Atlantic were, were conducted in comprehensive hearings on the Titanic sinking, interviewing dozens of witnesses and consulting with many maritime experts. Every conceivable subject was investigated from the conduct of the officers and the crew to the construction of the ship. And uh, the Titanic conspiracy theories basically continued from that point on. And even today, we still have... Um, uh, documentaries about the Titanic and people, and still people go down in submarines to find things that they haven't found yet. So it's been a real um, huge story throughout the 20th and 21st century, Clint. Yeah, and I mean, there's still bits of shipwreck down there. There's probably still bits that we haven't found. I know, like the metals, been sort of um, criticised quite a lot that they used to construct it. I think I saw somewhere that it was about ten times, you know, more brittle the rivets that they were using than like modern steel. So things like that were heavily scrutinised as well. Yeah, I'm sure being an English ship built in Ireland, I'm sure they just blamed the Irish for it. So that probably what happened in the end. Um, while it all, <laughs> and while it's always been assumed that the ship sank as a result of the gash caused at the bulkhead, um, the compartments to flood. Various other theories have emerged over the decades. And um, like you said, that the ship's uh, steel was too brittle for the near freezing Atlantic waters and that the impact caused the rivets to pop and the expansion joints failed among others. So wasn't just the fact, so had it been built better, perhaps, perhaps the iceberg wouldn't have done the damage that it did and perhaps they would have survived. Uh, Technological aspects of the catastrophe aside, the Titanic's demise has taken a, has taken a deeper, almost mythic meaning in popular culture. Many view the tragedy as a morality play about the dangers of human hubris. Titanic's creators believe they had built an unsinkable ship that could not defeat the that, that could not be defeated by the laws of nature. So yeah, a real like we think we've done something that can't be defeated, and unfortunately when you have that attitude, bad things tend to happen. The same overconfidence explains the electrifying impact Titanic sinking had on the public. When she was lost, there was widespread disbelief actually that the ship could not possibly have sunk and that it was a mistake and that it'd been, and, and actually many uh, journalists reported that um, the ship had been, it had an iceberg, but had continued to remain afloat and would be towed into port with everyone on board, which I think was um, pretty hopeful at the time. It took many hours for accurate accounts to become widely available. And even then um, people had trouble accepting that this marvel of modern technology could sink on her maiden voyage, taking more than 1500 souls with her. Um, In a final kind of little sum up about what people thought, the ship historian John Maxtone Graham has compared Titanic's story to the Challenger Space Shuttle disaster in, of 1986. In that case, the world reeled at the notion that one of the most sophisticated inventions ever created could explode into oblivion along with its crew. Both tragedies triggered a sudden collapse in confidence, revealing that we remain subject to human fatalities and error despite our hubris and our belief in technological infallibility. So I think a really impressive 
quote and story to finish off the tale of the Titanic Clint. Yeah, that's an awesome quote. And it's, it's so true. Like it was this Marvel, it was this such hope and it must've really set back confidence in like construction and everything and sort of this ambition that, you know, people were trying to battle with ambition versus reality um, in terms of, you know, doing these amazing feats. So very, it's an awesome story, Jimmy. It's a very sad story in a lot of ways and um, good report, mate. Well done. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a great story. And I think one that um, it's, it's interesting to hear the more in-depth version and perhaps get more of an idea of what really happened behind the Titanic and, Yes, the movie is fantastic, but for many people it was real and the people who survived, people who survived had to live with that for a very long time. Um, I think that concludes our episode. I've been Jimmy D. And I'm Mr. B. Stay curious. Stay cheeky.